Welcome, everybody, to Dead Talk Live. I am your host, Viz, and tonight we have special guest, writer-director Addison Hyman with us. Addison's new movie is called Hypochondriac, and it's coming out to theaters this Friday, July 29th, and then Y to Video On Demand and Digital on August 4th. Addison, thank you so much for being our guest. How are you doing tonight? I'm good. I'm good. I'm a, I'm a couple high noons in. That's like a different seltzer water than than White Claw. Because I figured, like you know, we do a talk show. I want to be like a little loosey goosey or whatever. And um, <laughs> I don't I'm, need to say that. Whatever. I'm good. Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. I love the background <laughs> from the movie, by the way. That's awesome. Thank you. Yes, it's our it's our poster. Yes. Oh, it's actually. Oh, it's yep. Mm-hmm. It's in reverse. I see. But uh, that was my fault. I should no, have added. That's uh, fine. It's, you know, that's whatever. Okay. It's okay. You know, it's fine. Thing. It looks yeah, the, great. The poster's I, great. Mm-hmm. I checked out the movie, guys. Uh, you're definitely going to want to check this out. It's a, it's a movie that you're really, really going to enjoy. So let's get right into it. Now, Hypochondriac deals with trauma, mental illness, trauma suffered from a child, and its lifelong effects after that. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. What was your inspiration when you sat down to write this screenplay? Uh, you, you know, sorry, I'm trying to find good light because um, I'm just like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> okay, I think we're good. This is the best light here. Okay, uh, yeah, I mean, well, uh, ultimately the movie's about my mental breakdown. And um, basically what happened was I lost full functioning of my arms for six months uh, after an injury at work. And I was visiting Dr. Google, and Dr. Google told me I was dying of ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease. And I, of course, believed Google instead of my friends and my family and even my aunt, who was a doctor. Uh, And uh, while that was happening, my mother, who's bipolar, was leaving me messages telling me not to trust my friends. So that confluence of events caused me to crack. And that is what basically inspired the film. Um, I, I wrote an early draft during the middle of my mental breakdown. It was kind of like a, uh, a therapy draft is basically the best way to call it. But, um, uh, but ultimately I, I decided more on an emotional retelling of it because all my friends were like, just because it happened doesn't mean it's interesting. And they were, and I was like, Oh, okay. So you hate me. And they're like, no, Addison, come on, shut up. And I was like, but you hate me. And they're like, no, we don't. Well, maybe a little because you're being annoying now. Um, and then I, um, and then I, uh, ended up basically fighting it but then i ended up writing a movie basically about inherited trauma with my mother and that ended up turning into the script in which the movie is uh you know was filmed for because you know scripts turn into movies that's how things work now you mentioned the dr google thing now that is something that everyone can relate to if you feel sick you're having symptoms everyone's going to turn to the internet in the film you make it uh, a point to highlight the doctors telling the main character will to stop doing that. It can right. be helpful to some degree if you know right. something. You know you have a very specific question, but when you go to Google to start looking up symptoms, that's where yeah. people get into trouble. Uh, oh yeah, why, I know. And and how important was it for you to highlight that aspect? Well, and that's the thing is, you know, the worst part of Google is that once you get it in your mind that you have something, it'll start 
start just suggesting and catering to you. I actually tested this theory like later on in my breakdown where I was like, I went from ALS to think I had multiple sclerosis and I used my phone and I typed in symptoms and it was like, you have multiple sclerosis. And then I went on my dad's phone and I Googled and it had nothing. So I was like, Google was literally telling me or trying to convince me that I had ALS. So I was just like, an MS, I was just like, you know what? I, I, uh, got tricked or I don't know, just no one Googled their symptoms. If anything, if I could tell you anything, if you're having symptoms, if you're feeling problems, don't Google them. It's not helpful. It's not helpful at all. Uh, I absolutely agree. I've been I've been right there with you as well. Where yeah. Google is useful in any search on the internet is useful mm-hmm. is if you have a very specific question. Okay, right. then you can look up an answer. But when it yes. comes to symptoms, no, that's just a bad idea. You're gonna end up freaking yourself out, and you know right. we see the main character in the movie will go down that road now this is your directorial debut congratulations uh for that hello Uh, oh you kind of froze on the screen are you still there addison you disappeared hold on we're gonna do this yeah Mm -hmm. can you hear me there you are there you are we got you back yes i can here here we're gonna do we're gonna do I'm gonna to try to. I think. I think this is better Wi-Fi right here. So I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I'm gonna do a little sitting on the sitting on the floor. How's this sound? No, Does it look okay. Great. Yeah, look great. Right. Look great. So, like I said, this was your directorial debut. Uh, yeah. What was it like taking the reins behind the camera on a screenplay you wrote for the first time? You know, I was primarily a writer director. I mean, sorry, excuse me, writer producer before, and I started as an actor. So I like went through so many different steps before I ended up actually directing. Um, I, you know, when I was acting, I was like, oh, okay, you know, you audition, do these things. And as a writer, everybody was like, oh, Addison, your, your plays sound like screenplays, which is an insult in the theater world. So uh, I, uh, you know, transitioned to, to film. And this was kind of my first foray into horror because my, you know, my mental breakdown felt perfect to me. So that's kind of what I felt like. And when it got down to, actually directing it it was just like i was like you know what i see this i know this this happened to me i can see it in my brain and then because of the pandemic you know we pushed a year and a half so i watched 400 horror movies Mm -hmm. in this in in the span of like a year so like that was my film school on top of all the other things that i did and that basically made um also you know the, the beautiful thing is I don't ascribe to the auteur theory. Movies aren't made in in in, in like a in solitude. They're made with collaboration. So mm-hmm. the beautiful thing about directing, especially what my producer said, they're like Addison, you just did be you need to be nice and you didn't make you need to make decisions. And I was like, okay, cool. And then when I got on set, everyone's everyone's like Addison, it's so great, you're good, you're nice, and you make decisions. And I was like, isn't that the bare minimum? And they're like, you'd be surprised. And I was like, cool, 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 cool. <laughs> but here's but here's the thing. You have every single, you have an expert in every field, right? You have your cinematographer, you have your sound mixer, you have your production designer, you have your scripty, you have all these people on set, especially your producers who are like the most important people, and you're all making the movie together. Mm-hmm. So the, the best thing that I did to describe hypochondriac is because it's about my mental breakdown and you're never quite sure what's going on, if something's real and what's not real. I use this thing from this weird Nintendo GameCube game called... Um, uh, eternal darkness mm-hmm. where there's these characters that when they get it 
attacked or hurt, their insanity meter goes up. It doesn't, so I use this uh, vocabulary of using the insanity meter. There are two going on, right? There's one in which I want the audience to know or think is like real or not real. And there's also what's actually real and not real. And those two are constantly shifting and in flux. So every scene, I would tell that to the whole crew. And then I would come on set and it would be designed as if it's exactly what I said to do. So that, that, that kind of framing reference helped everybody like basically get all on the same page and then that ultimately uh led to um i think a really fantastic collaboration and that leads me to my next question because you just brought up a very interesting point as Mm -hmm. the viewer as a viewer uh right where we want to know as we're watching this film because will's mom uh does have a mental illness okay right so we're trying to figure out as the movie progresses is this is what he's going through a product of his childhood trauma or is it a mental illness um is that what you wanted the audience to ponder yeah i mean ultimately he's definitely going through his mental illness he's in battle with his brain and that ultimately is the the crux of the movie there's no villain it's not the mom it's not the dad it's not the wolf it's not his shitty boss it's his brain so you're basically with him the entire time. You're with him and you are watching him go through this and battling his brain. Yeah. And that is, um, I think, more horrific in a way. Yeah. Because like at any moment, I mean, that's what happens in the middle of the movie. You know, he he hurts it. He reaches into a kiln because he thinks there's a child inside and ultimately it burns his arms to the point where he has to be in bandages for the rest of the movie. Mm-hmm. And that we don't know exactly why or how that happened, but we saw the repercussions of his brain tricking him into thinking that there are things there that are not there. Yeah. What I loved is when he's having these hallucinations and of the wolf that we see, it's not a like, uh, you could have gone either way with this. You could have shown us an actual wolf, whether it's CGI or whatever, but right. you made it very noticeable and for us to know that this is not actually a wolf. It's sort of a, right. a grown person, sometimes a child, wearing a right. costume. Right. Uh, did you battle within your own mind on how you wanted to portray that? Or yeah. was it easy yeah. right off the bat? Well, you know, I, you know, it's, it's, it's funny. I mean, there's this little unknown indie movie that no one's ever seen made in 2001 called, um, um, oh, Donnie Darko. Um, and, uh, okay, let's pretend a joke. Obviously everybody knows Donnie Darko. It's one of my favorite movies. And I think one of my, one of the reasons I really love that movie is because, um, you have like sparkle motion, you have like, you know, you have the Halls arguing about how one sucks a fuck. You have like, you have all these ridiculous things. And then you also have Donnie sitting on the bed with his mom being like, how does it feel to have a wacko for a son? And she says, it feels wonderful. And that's in the same movie. Yeah. So when I, when I was writing the movie, the original draft of the, of the script was actually his best friend dies of a, of a disease right in front of him while wearing a wolf costume in Halloween. Okay. But when I, when I ultimately had the courage to write about my mother and my relationship, I liked the wolf costume, but it actually fit quite well because ultimately that's what it is. It's like this entity that is both human and animal, both tamed and not tamed. And I thought a wolf was a great um, representation of that, especially not like an actual wolf, but a human wolf, because it's ultimately just like, it's scary, but it's not scary. And it's also the idea that's like, 
it's not a monster. It's just, it's like no face is spirited away. Mm-hmm. It's like he gets infected by the world that surrounds him. It's not because of him. So every time Will pushes his mental illness and his anxieties and his, and his trauma with his mother away, the wolf gets scarier and scarier and more aggressive and more violent. And that ultimately, um, that thread, until he finally is like, oh, shit, I acknowledge my mental illness and I acknowledge my mother. Is he able to overcome everything? Absolutely. Now, Will is played by Zach Villa and, you know, yeah. Villa, and he does a great job portraying Will. Yeah. What was it that you saw in Zach that you're like, you know what, that's that's my Will? Yeah, that's a good question. Well, he went to Juilliard, so that was a plus. <laughs> um, but also... Um, you know, it's he was the he was the last person who auditioned, and I'd heard of him, and I was like, okay, and I'd seen American Horror Story in 1984, and I was like, I was watching all these tapes, and there's I sent them two scenes, I sent them a scene in which he was panicking, and I sent him a scene in which he was getting somebody else out of a panic attack, and ultimately most of the actors could do one or the other, and then it was the last tape of the um of the uh, of the submissions it was like three or four days late and michelle my casting director was like okay i have one more for you and then i saw zach's tape and the amount of specificity he brought to being both a caretaker and a caregiver mm-hmm. um was was it just, it just filled me filled me with empathy he was filled with pathos and by the time i met him and i got to discuss his own um you know, troubles with mental health with him and his family. I was like, this is the guy. I mean, this is, you know, and then uh, annoyingly, he kind of became me in the movie, which is, you know, everybody on set, they're like, oh, yeah, you have the same haircut. You're the same beard. You guys are twins. And I'm like, and we're done with this joke. But um, and it, 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 it's not like he was doing like a caricature or anything. He just found a really cool way to combine my character himself and the character in the script to create this hybrid of somebody that was just like really engaging to watch and it was a joy working with him because we had this shorthand before we even stepped on set because i cast him more than a year out uh because of the pandemic we had to push back several times and so by the time we got on set we were just like you know peanut butter and jelly is that is that the metaphor yeah Uh, sure so you guys had a lot of conversations about what you went through and Mm -hmm. what you wanted him to portray so by the time you guys did come on set you you were ready to go yeah yeah and that was great i mean i mean i i couldn't ask for a better partner in crime when it comes to acting and you know he, he led the he led the set um you know in terms of the acting side and um he went through a lot of stuff I asked him to do a lot of things, and he did them with bravado and bravery, and I'm Absolutely. You know, forever grateful he agreed to do the project. Now, uh, another important character in this movie is Will's uh, boyfriend, partner, mm-hmm. Luke, yep. okay? Yes. Uh, there's a very explicit scene between Will and Luke. Mm-hmm. Uh, was that meant to give us a deeper look into Will's mind or his relationship with Luke? Yes. You're talking about the sex scene, I'm yes. assuming? Yes. Yes. So, yeah. Yeah. So I, I wanted to do that for several reasons. One, um, uh, gay sex is very rarely um, portrayed realistically in film. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wanted to write a scene and, and film a scene that portrayed that um, as honestly as possible. Another reason is because that is Will at his lowest moment. And so when I when I talked to Zach and my reasons behind wanting to do, because I don't want to just do sex scenes to do sex scenes. Like there has to be story involved. And I think mm-hmm. ultimately that moment 
it's like Halle Berry and Monster when she's turning to Billy Bob Thornton. She just wants to forget. But yeah. that's just another it's just another thing he's doing to avoid dealing with his own problems. So rather than being like, I need help or I need to do this, he's like, I want to be I want to be fucked. And it's just like that ultimately is also wrong, which is why it, that that scene goes sideways, because it's the wrong thing. He's trying to solve the wrong issues. Yeah. And um, and yeah, that's why I wanted to include that. Who do you think is, I, you know, I, don't, I hate to use the word blame, but in that scene, it going yeah. sideways, who's yeah. is it more responsible? Is it Will or Luke? I would say, it, I mean, I mean, Will in a sense, but only in the sense that it's his brain. Yeah. So the thing about the thing about mental illness and specifically bipolar disorder is that there's two versions of this of the self. There's Jekyll and then there's Hyde. Mm-hmm. And when usually the per- that's when you're lucid or you're manic. And with my mother, when she was Jekyll, she was friendly, she was kind, she was a loving person. But when she was Hyde, she was emotionally abusive and hard to be around and alienating. Mm-hmm. So that scene specifically is about the struggle within the self, between the struggle of, of Jekyll and Hyde. Yeah. So that's why you see at the end, you know, as things start to mirror themselves, the split screening, the, 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 the like, the lens baby, the, the blurring and all that kind of stuff. It's, it's, it's his inner Hyde coming out, trying to destroy the situation while the, while, while Jekyll is vulnerable and mm-hmm. quiet and suffering. Um, and that's and that's um, kind of how I view that scene. Tell us about Luke and Will's mom relationship. That seems really odd, out of place, but yeah. we don't actually get to see them really communicating right. on the screen. But we know they do communicate, yeah. and that makes Will paranoid. Tell us about right. that. Yeah, I mean, ultimately that came from my real life, and I think, I think. It's hard, right? Because my mother was telling me not to trust my friends and she was reaching out to my friends and finding their emails online. And so I think in that moment, like the idea of, 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 of Luke being like talking to his mom is like a, is like a strong, it's like a, an overstatement because it's just like, it's more of the thing of like, I know your mom's alive. She's been emailing me crazy things. And that's kind of the extent of the conversation. Mm-hmm. Everything else is kind of within, um, of, a, a form of Will's psychiatric self, his mind. He's making up all of these things rather than actually um, uh, admitting to himself that he needs help. And so that's ultimately what the movie is. Like, it's not, it's funny because, and I really actually like these questions because you're you're coming from the point, in, you're coming from the perspective, I think almost as if everything in this movie happened. Mm-hmm. And in and, and my view, a lot of it, or at least it's like a lot of it didn't. Because it's Will's exaggerative mind that's yeah. viewing this thing through that perspective. And at the beginning, we start as realistic as possible. And Will always has something to grasp onto, whether it's his coworker, whether it's his boyfriend, and in the later half of the movie, maybe his dad or a doctor. But by that point in the movie, he's so far gone that these thoughts and these imagined conversations uh, ultimately may or may not be real because he is not necessarily within his own mind and his own and his own, you know, lucidity. He's 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 off his he's off into a world that isn't necessarily real. I'm glad you, you uh, sort of said about his mom being alive because throughout the majority of the film, 
as we see his mom calling him, we're left wondering, is this actually happening? Because oh, yeah. the, we're not going to spoil the beginning of the movie, but we're sort of right. left to think that, you know, you know, that might not be the case. But you're wondering, and we're not going to let people know what actually happens, but it's going to spoil it. But right. it's like, what is, you know, it goes back to the point you just made. What is real? What right. is not real? And it just has you questioning. Yeah. Now, um, right. my takeaway is that, and I think you sort of touched on this as well, that Will mm -hmm. is hoping that this is something physical as opposed to it being something mental. He exactly. even says, let it be ALS. Let it mm -hmm. be multiple sclerosis. Right. I, he is just terrified of it, right. of him becoming his mom, right. uh, in a sense. Uh, tell us about that. Yeah, I mean, I mean, that's like I think the crux of the movie and the theme of the movie, and also his fatal flaw, because, and that's what happened to me too. I was so afraid that I was becoming my mother that I I disintegrated into a dark corner and a dark place of my mind because I was refusing to ask for help. And I was just, and I was basically, and like, you know, hypochondriac, the title is kind of a bait and switch because that's what he's doing. He's trying to solve this idea of, of, of what's happening to him, whether mm -hmm. he's dying of ALS, whether he's dying of MS, whether he has some other muscular neuromuscular degenerative disease. But ultimately what he's doing is he's trying to solve the symptoms of the underlying disease that is his generational trauma with his mother. Mm -hmm. And that's ultimately his fatal flaw. He's trying to he's trying to solve everything, but but dealing with his mother. Yeah. And that's why he goes down the rabbit hole. And that's why he spirals because of the fact that he just doesn't admit what's staring at him in the face. Absolutely. Now, before we go, I have one final question. And uh, sure. you make a big reference in the movie to the 1990 movie Ghost. I mean, you don't try to tiptoe around it. It's it's no, it's, no, no. it's right there. Demi uh, Moore in Ghost was a pottery uh, maker. Will mm. is a pottery maker. Yeah. Uh, what led you to do that? I mean, I mean, that's just the simplest way I can frame it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, uh, I can't. I I couldn't do a pot. Scene without homaging a ghost scene. Of course, we didn't get the rights to Unchained Melody, but I think my composer did a good job of creating its psychosis. But that's an example of being in the uh, the maximum amount of psychosis in both insanity meters. It's both a 10 on you're supposed to know this is not real, and it's a 10 that it isn't real in this like, imagined world. But it is a representation of his descent into madness after yeah. just witnessing arguably the only real thing in the movie that's concrete which is the found footage sequence where he finds scenes of him as a child with his mother and his father yeah. and at that point he's so far gone and so down the rabbit hole that all he could do is is sit with his ghost sit with his his trauma and weirdly sensually make pottery with it and uh, and be covered in blood because it's it's like that it's like that sense of complete and utter mania yeah. where it's like the, the craziest moment of his life 
and in the discovery of all these scenes in which he's basically suppressed his whole life, or maybe not even suppressed, but you know that thing that we do is we compartmentalize trauma yeah. to the point where like we can exist because sometimes we just have to do it. Our brains are very good at hiding uh, hard things. It's not like we don't remember them, but we're not immediately thrown back into those moments until certain times. And I think that found footage shape brings him back there to the point that there's just a pure um, moment of like uh, of like fucking wild insanity um culminating him him and ending up in the er trying to get an mri because yeah. something is wrong absolutely thank you i mean the guys the movie again is called hypochondriac like i said at the beginning of the show it's coming out to select theaters uh this friday july 29th and then wide on digital and on demand august 4th check it yeah. out uh, I would love to talk about the ending, but we can't. It's going to give away too many spoilers. Yep, yep, yep. yep. But yep. watch it. <laughs> Definitely watch it. You're going to really enjoy this film. It's going to take you on a roller coaster. I want to thank the, our guest, who is the writer-director of Hypochondriac, Addison Hyman. Addison, do you have any final thoughts you want to share before we go? I, if, if you if you get a chance to be if you in the in the cities in which we're releasing, I, I, I advise you go to the theater. The sound design is quite good, but I understand the times we're in. Um, if you like it, tell your friends. If you don't like it, please don't tell me. Um, I'm I'm very very fragile. No, I'm kidding. It's, it's yours. Do whatever you need to whatever you need to do. But thank you so much for watching. And if you want, you can find me on the Instagram at Addy Bear Five, and you can follow the. Uh, movies Instagram handle at hypochondriac.com. Absolutely. Thank you so much to our guest, Addison Hyman. I want to thank our audience, those who have tuned in live and those who will be watching this later on. Thank you so much. Again, the, the name of the movie is called Hypochondriac, July 29th in theaters, August 4th on On Demand. Till next time, guys, on behalf of Addison and myself, stay safe and stay walking. Good night, everyone. Yes.